in the last uh, week of our series here on a people following Christ, and it's been an eight-week series. And the point of this series has been uh, to track Christ in the New Testament with his followers, listening to his teachings, watching his followers, and understanding the principles of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because at Parker Ford here, we talk about being PFC, a people following Christ. And so uh, we identify ourselves as that we are a body of people, a community of people who are pursuing Christ together. And so we have kind of family values or expectations around what does it look like to be a member here? What are the values? What, is it, what are the family kind of guidelines here? And those are things that we pull from when we look at the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and those who are following Christ, what are the basic principles that run across all of those followers of Christ? And so we've been tracking down through those things and taking the last eight weeks to look at them. And they're not an exhaustive list at, by any means of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They're kind of the basics, just the real basics that are, are identifiers that say, as we're following Christ, this is kind of what that looks like. Um, and those are the things that we've been walking through. And today's the last one. And... Uh, our text for today is in Ephesians 4, but we're not going to look at that until the end of the message um, because it's gonna, we're going to see that, that text as a summary of the message, um, and uh, we're going to be looking at some other texts throughout the, the, uh, our talk here this morning, and uh, we're going to start by reciting one. It's not going to be on the screen, so this is only for those of you who know it, and there's probably a bunch of you who know it, um, and it's in the very, 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 very beginning of everything and the very beginning of the Gospel of John. Okay? So, this is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you, you, God, have spoken life. You have defined our reality. You have been, when the words have rolled off your tongue, light and darkness have separated. And when you have spoken into our lives, we've come awake. And so God, today uh, we recognize that all communication, it's yours, God. And so we ask that you would bring us to a place where we understand today, where we hear from you today where our hearts can kind of receive from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time I checked, the top three reasons why marriages fail, the three topics that cause disagreement that bring marriages to failure, you know what they are? Money is the first one. Yeah. Family's third. In-laws, in particular, are third. Number two. Sex. Sex. So, intimacy. So, the first is sex, or the first is money. Second is sex. The third is in-laws. Now, there's a whole other topic that's a lot harder to quantify um, that cuts through all three of those things. And that's one that if you go to counseling is often talked about, and that has to do with communication, right? Communication. And that's a, a lot more difficult to quantify because it's kind of on a sliding scale and it's not just a topic we disagree about. It's skills that we have and how we communicate with one another. And so probably a big part of the reason why some of those three things are a problem is because we don't know how to communicate well about them. 
It's not the only problem. Otherwise, communication would definitely be number one. The biggest problem above all those things and in and through all those things is our own selfish hearts. Amen? (laughs) Any relational problems we have are due to our selfish hearts. That's what it comes down to. And so when it comes to money, that's a resource. And when it comes to to intimacy, the fear and the the desire and uh, all of that. And when it comes to in-laws and and family, a lot of that has to do with prioritizing relationships and time. Now, communication, however, even if we have common values and even if we have common goals and common desires, there is still that whole thing of communication, And whether or not we actually know that we're headed on the same page or headed the same direction, or if we're not, can we communicate about that and find a place where we can collaborate and all of those things. And so communication is such an enormous deal because as human beings, we are by definition communicators. Human beings are communicators. So by being human, we are communicators. It's an enormous part of who, who we are. And that shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because we were created in the image of the Word, the Creator. He is so much a communicator that his nickname is the Word. That's a pretty cool nickname. What's up, the Word? (laughs) I like it. How you doing, the Word? And God calls himself the Word. It reminds me of Allen Iverson's nickname. You remember what his nickname was? The answer. Yeah, you can throw anything you want at our team, but we got the answer. You know, and that's supposed to speak of who he is, what his capacity is, that no matter what this team brings at him, that he will answer that problem. He will answer that problem. Well, God, a much cooler nickname, a much deeper nickname, is that when it comes to all communication, when it comes to any interaction at all, that everything starts with the word. The word. All of it starts with him. The world was formless and without void. And the spirit was hovering over the deep, brooding. And then God said, let there be light. He speaks. And when God speaks, his words never return void. He is the communicator, and therefore when he creates us in his image, a huge part of who we are is communicators. And we are built by words. We are shaped by words. We shape other things by words. Words are all over us and around us and under us, and, 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 and they flow through us. So naturally, our relationship with God is one that is at least very much in part rooted in words, isn't it? Our relationship with God isn't only about words. It's also about actions. As a matter of fact, uh, some texts make it really clear. If you have the kind of faith that doesn't have action attached to it, then it's not real faith, right? Faith results in action. The reason being is because faith is when we take God's words and we believe that they're reality. And therefore, we begin to live our life based on the reality of his words, Now, it starts with his words and us trusting it, and ultimately that will lead to us having different behavior and action. But even our own pursuit of God doesn't start with action. It starts with words. It starts with communication. What are the two central practices of, as two central disciplines of a follower of Christ? Prayer and the word, right? Prayer and the word. 
And both of those are two-way streets. Both of those things are two-way streets, especially prayer. Especially prayer. Our whole life is a life of prayer. But our prayer life is informed and shaped by the word of God. And our obedience is certainly shaped by the word of God. But we understand he communicates to us through the word and he communicates to us through prayer. And as we read the word and are listening to his communication, in action we can respond to that. But firstly, we confess the reality of this word. And if we confess with our mouth and confess to one another, this is the building up of the body of Christ and the building of our relationship with one another. So our relationship with God is about listening to the words, about bringing him words, about being an open, honest communication with him. Now, the thing is, is our relationship with God is not only shaped by words and also action, but our relationship with one another then naturally is shaped by words. You know, when we hear the word prayer, I think that most of us at this point, especially if we've been hanging out at Parker Ford Church for a while, recognize that that word is a fundamental, definitional, bottom line word in our relationship with God. If we are Christians, then we are people of prayer. In one form or another, we are people of prayer because we have a relationship with God and that relationship is defined in communication. The same exact principle applies. If the, if the first thing that I'm supposed to do with my life is to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then that's going to first happen in communication to God. Well, in the same way, if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, how is that first revealed? Help me. Communication. Communication. Communication is not just a skill. It's not just a skill. It's not just a thing to get better at. Communication is the initial connection point. It's the expression. It's the first way that we love and the first way that we hate. It's the way that we reveal our selfishness or that we reveal our consideration of others. We're people of communication. So, so far in this series, most of those values that we've talked about have actually been on the action side of things. So we've talked about participation in the body of Christ. We've talked about going after discipleship. We've talked about using our gifts and serving. Last week, Jay talked about financially, how we handle our resources and all of that. Those are very much action Based things. But today we're talking about the communication side of our relationship with the Lord and with one another. And uh, that's where we're headed. Now, words, as you know, as we all know, are immensely powerful. Immensely powerful. And that's why you remember the, the statement that there's something that's mightier than the sword. What's mightier than the sword? The pen is mightier than the sword. Because what you can do with writing and what you can do by shaping someone's mind can change things far more than just a gun. Far more than a nuclear arsenal is those who hold the power of words. The power of communication. You can build things and you can tear things down with the power of words. Words are made to, to shape and to define, both negatively and positively. Proverbs 18.21, I want you to look at this verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That's an amazing verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This muscle that sits behind my teeth, between my lips, and under my brain, and above my body, has the ability to bring life or death, 
to bring vitality or destruction. That muscle right there can change the course of my life, can change the course of your life, and can change the course of history if used appropriately or inappropriately. You ever read To Kill a Mockingbird? Great book by Harper Lee. So much of that book has a picture of Atticus Finch, who is an out-of-this-world father. Clearly, it has to be a picture much more of Father God than an actual human father, because there's so much that he does right. It's just ridiculous and embarrassing for the rest of us. And that's why it's a fictional story. And when he is communicating, he has his little girl, Scout. Not little girl, Scout. His little girl named Scout. And all the time, when he is communicating to her, he has this gentle, subtle way of planting seeds in her mind that she ponders. And then as she experiences life, she's like processing. Oh, that's what dad was talking about. And one of the biggest lessons that he teaches her all throughout the story is that there's people in the community all around her who everyone talks about this way. And he's like, be careful. Don't write their story for them. Let them write their story for you. Be careful. And so whether that has to do with racism or whether it had to do with the, the problem that was there where there was a person who was mentally challenged and he says, wait, just hold off, Scout. Let the story unfold before you begin to communicate. Be very, very careful how you talk with your friends about those people. And she learns throughout the book the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. On the negative side, we know that sticks and stones can break our bones and that words can absolutely destroy our hearts. We know that. We know the reality of it. All of us know that. None of us are fooled by that, that simple little nursery rhyme from back in the day. James 5, James 3 rather, 5 through 8. You know this passage and I want you to read along here in your mind. Listen to these words. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of the sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And those are harsh words. We did it. We got a puppy. Friday night, Casey joined our family, and she is an adorable little thing. I was going to put her picture on the screen today, but I knew that I would lose you as soon as I did because she's ridiculously cute, and you wouldn't think about anything else other than run into our house after the message to go see our dog. This passage says that any creature can be tamed by the tongue. The problem is, is that humankind can't tame the tongue. 
And that because we can't tame the tongue, it sets on fire a world of unrighteousness. Think with me for a second what it is that a tongue can do. A tongue can very quickly ruin a reputation. Very, very quickly ruin a reputation. A tongue can destroy a person's life's work like that. A person who's had a full head of steam and who has had vision and who has been excited and who has been going after the dream, you can destroy their hope with a word. Bam! You can steal from them their hope and their joy. We can undo the work that God has been doing and that others have been doing with a couple words. We can undermine and undo. We can break a heart. We can haunt a mind. We can divide a community. We can break relationships all with the power of a tongue because words that are spoken that we cannot get back are words that will destroy a human spirit and destroy a community. And that's why Jesus speaks so clearly, so clearly about how vitally important it is to guard your mouth, to guard your tongue. It's subtle what happens in our hearts that leads to us using our tongues inappropriately. I want you to think right now and just stop. We're going to close our eyes. I want to ask everyone to close your eyes. And I want you to think about those words that have been spoken about you or to you that hurt. Big time. I mean the ones that have shaped your life. That name that your parent called you, that discouraging word that your coach or your teacher or your music teacher or your dance teacher or whoever said to you. The critical thing that was spoken to you when you were just a child in school but you have a hard time letting go of. The thing that your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse spoke to you that cut you deeper than you knew you could be cut. The friend who betrayed you and spoke behind your back. The lies that were spoken about you that have shaped your life, that have led you instead of responding to the word of God and living out of the reality of who God has spoken you to be. Instead, you've desired to live in reaction to these words, compensating against these words that have spoken negatively about you. Maybe even some of them had truth to them, but they were just spoken in destructive terms instead of loving terms. Think of that for a second. Just stop. Think of that for a second. Father God, you speak a better word. And your words are healing, and they are cleansing, and you wash your bride in the water of the word. And so God, I just ask that you would sweep across each heart and each mind, and you would cleanse and you would heal from the words that have been spoken. And that, God, words that have been meant for destruction would be turned around and now would be redeemed by the word of God. And that you would release us from the bitter poison of the enemy. And instead, you would speak your words of life and healing into those places of wounding and hurt in our hearts. And we invite you to that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't allow those things to stay in the dark. Part of what the reason why, he, why we have Christian community 
is that we speak the words of life to one another. And if those things have hurt, don't hold them. You don't, don't get stronger than them. Be honest. Bring them into the light. Let someone who knows you and who loves the Lord know the words that hurt you so that they can speak better words from the Scripture to you. Words not only can destroy, <laughs> words can build. They not only tear down, they build up. They not only lead to death, they lead to life. All good things start from a word out of the mouth of God. When God speaks life, reality comes forth, and it, it just happens. The power of God's words. But it's not just God's words spoken from his mouth in the beginning of creation. It's God's words spoken through his people. You remember in the book of Corinth, when they're having this weird thing where they all want spiritual experiences. They all want these crazy spiritual experiences. And they think that the most angelic kind of people are the ones who speak in the angelic tongues. And they're all trying to be like angels. And so they're all trying to speak in the tongues. And Paul says, yeah, you know, your prayer language, that's cool and all. But it does almost nothing to edify the rest of the body. You want to see love come awake and come alive? Then speak the words of God to one another. Let each of you eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Because what is prophecy? It's taking the words that God has written for us and applying them to someone's life in real time and saying, God says that you are not a mess. God says you are loved. Don't believe that lie. God says, don't be discouraged. God says, he's got your circumstances. He says, don't have despair, have joy because he's in control. All of those things in any given moment when a person is hurting and you can see the lies that they're believing and you take this thing and you speak it into someone's life, you can speak prophetic words that will come true in their life because you are speaking the words of life into another human being and the words of God do not return void even when they're spoken through your mouth. It is an awesome thing to build up the body of Christ with your words, with your words. Good advice, wisdom, encouragement, exhortation, hope building, somebody naming something in us, all those things, they shape our lives even more than the negative words. I have this, um, there was this, lady who um, was a part of this church for a long time. And she was about this tall, always, always. She was this tall. And she was the same age from the day I was born until the day that she died. She never, not one thing about her ever changed. She looked exactly the same. And uh, I know her mostly from the, the old church building we were in, but she made the journey over here. And when we came and replanted the church and all that, she was here and she's part, she said right there, little Bobby Gauger. And I remember so clearly one day, we were at Bethel United Methodist Church for a sunrise service. And I came home and they asked me to speak at this sunrise service. And I remember speaking on the resurrection. And after speaking on the resurrection, she walked up and she grabbed my tie. I actually wore a tie. She grabbed me by the tie and pulled me down and looked right in my face. And she said, Billy Graham's got nothing. God speaks his words the way he wants to speak them. And he just spoke through you. And you have a gift. Make sure you use it. 
And I did because of her. You know, Pastor Bob, who was my pastor, he could say that. And it's like, that's cool. He's my pastor. He's kind of like supposed to say that. And it doesn't take anything away from him. It's just that's his job, you know. Like my parents, you know, they can encourage, but they're my parents, you know. But some random little sweet lady coming up and speaking that to me is the body of Christ building up one another so that we grow into the head, which is Christ, the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. And when we speak the words of life, we ignite other people so that they speak the words of life into other people and ignite other people. And the words go back and forth. And the words of life identify the kingdom of God. And they identify the people of God. And we should understand that when you step into the church, you hear words of life and not words of death. You hear words that build up, not words that tear down. Even the confrontational words, even the words, the hard truth that has to be spoken is never spoken from a heart of viciousness. It's never spoken from a personal place where I'm coming against you. It's spoken because I want you to know the truth so that you may be set free in the name of Jesus. Stop with me. Close your eyes. Think. Who spoke the words to you? Where were the words that were spoken to you? Think, think, think. Who spoke words to you of life? Of truth? When no one else would tell you the truth, this person in love told you the truth you needed to hear. And you might not have been able to receive it at the time, But eventually, it changed you. Who is it who encouraged you when you were down? What were the words that were spoken that helped you? That boss that helped you identify something in you you didn't know you had? That uncle or that Sunday school teacher? That babysitter? Who spoke the words? God, we thank you for the words of life. We thank you for the words that you have spoken to us because they've all come come from you. You are the word and you have spoken and you've used your people and you've spoken life into our lives. And God, we desperately desire that this tongue that we cannot tame, that you would put a harness on it and you would rein it in, God. And you would change us to be a people who speak life and not who speak death. That we would crush evil. That we would crush evil with our tongues of life. And that we would bless people with our tongues that build up God in our words. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. There are different aspects of good communication. One has to do with skills. And it has to do with wisdom. And, and skills and communication are a big deal. You know, am I able to read the person? Do I know when to speak, when not to speak, how often to speak? All of those things, they're wisdom. And if you work in the corporate world, that's a really big deal to figure that out. We all could use healthy doses of education and how to communicate well, all the different formats of communication. The Bible talks about different wisdom around communication, but there's a whole other deeper category of communication. Even if we're not good communicators, if we don't have all the skills, there's still a deeper part. And that has to do with the morality of communication. There are also morals in communication. 
I hope and pray that because of our love for one another, we will seek to grow in our skills in communication in order to bless one another. And we'll search the scripture for the wisdom. But there are also things that are, we just can't compromise on. That it's not a growth curve. That it's like, God, I need you to change this in my life immediately because it's immoral to communicate this way. That's outside of your plan. So as followers of Christ, there are a few basic principles that, uh, that Christ has, that who he is and how he outlines communication. And we're going to end our time here looking at just a couple points and reading Ephesians that summarizes those, okay? First thing is Christ is very fair. He is fair. Christ doesn't talk about people. Christ talks to people. If there is one thing that I hope we walk away from this message learning, Knowing, remembering together, is that Jesus doesn't talk about people. He talks to people. He's all about talking directly to us. He doesn't talk, what? read the scriptures. He doesn't talk negatively about Pilate. He doesn't talk negatively about any one of the religious leaders. He doesn't talk, he'll say, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of false teaching. He'll say, be careful of this stuff. But he doesn't say, yeah, did you hear what Nicodemus did? That is from the pit of hell. What he will say is, get behind me, Satan, to Peter's face. And so when he's talking to someone, he knows I can edify them, I can free them, I can build them up. But by talking negatively about this person here, all I'm doing is sullying their reputation. This isn't going to lead to setting that person free. Because Jesus understands, you can speak in the tongue of men of angels. You can prophesy, but if you have not love, you have nothing. It's just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so Jesus has this amazing thing where he's fair with people. Even if we're a mess, even if we're doing things that are inappropriate to him, he speaks to us. And he expects that his followers will do the same thing. And he tells us that in Matthew 18. He says that if someone sinned against you, go and have a conversation with them. That's a basic value of communication in the kingdom of God. When we talk behind people's backs, we know that gossip divides relationships, it destroys reputations, and it steals trust. Christ did not speak personally ill, and he asks us not to as well. In his confrontation, Jesus is one of the most confrontational people who have ever lived. On the, He may be the most confrontational person who ever walked the face of this planet. He was incredibly confrontational, immensely confrontational, to the point where not only is he called the word, he's called the stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall, the rock upon which you either fall on and are broken or it falls upon you and you are crushed. And he says at one point, he says, I came to divide because his mouth, out of his mouth comes a tongue. And what is his tongue? It's a double-edged sword. It comes to slice, not to hurt, but it comes to divide truth and lies. And the ones that are speaking in my head, he comes to cut those lies. And so I want to tell us something here. I want to remind us of something. I want to speak this to us right now. Another thing that's super important is that being passive in communication is not kindness that is rooted in love. Being passive in communication 
has to do with cowardice that's rooted in self-protection. God has us. He loves us. He sees us. He knows us. And if we love one another, then we have to speak truth to one another. Not because I'm mad about something and I got to tell you. I mean, if I'm frustrated about something, we got to learn to work through it. Fine. But I mean, when I'm looking at a person's life and I see that they're believing lies and there's stuff going on in their life that's not okay, if I am passive and I don't go and have a conversation with that, it is on us as the body of Christ to call one another back to Christ. We are absolutely, clearly directed to do that. And if we don't do it, that person is suffering because of our lack, not because of God's lack. It takes courage. Now, for some of us, we have a hard time confronting, and so we need help with courage. But for others of us, we actually need to say, I have the courage to confront people. I just need the kindness and the perspective of love and the humility to do it in the right way. Because some of us just, we're all about that. We love calling things out and we love speaking it, but we need, the, we need the gentleness, the kindness that goes with it. Christ is true. We are not creators of truth. We are only proclaimers of it. When we try to squidge on, I don't know if squidge is a real word, but I'm going to use it. If, if we squidge, on reality, then we are saying, I am the one defining truth, not God. But we don't have the ability to do that. So we can't create truth. We can only proclaim it. So that's why we keep things true. He's holy, and so his speech is pure, not vulgar. Christ is confident in his Father, and this is why he doesn't grumble and he doesn't complain. You know, He is confident when he's in the Garden of Eden and he is like sweating blood and he's saying, Father, if possible, let this pass from me. He's not saying, what are you doing to me? Why did you put me in this situation? Look at all these people who have been, the only reason we're in this mess is because the religious leaders aren't doing their job. He will speak to their face and tell them what he thinks is inappropriate, but he will not complain. And he will not grumble. And in John chapter 6, when he calls people after he's fed the 5,000 and they're like, this is great. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part with me. In that point, they begin to grumble. And it says in John 6, in verse 41, it says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Listen to this. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. It's a simple answer. Stop grumbling. You may understand. We may understand. We may not understand. We may like it. We may not like it. The words of Jesus are the words of Jesus. Don't grumble. If I'm grumbling, I'm not following Christ. Grumbling in no circumstance reflects the image of God. Christ is loving, and so his primary communication is all with the intent to bless. And the first words that come out of his mouth are the words of blessing. The last words that come out of his mouth are the words of blessing. All of his confrontation, all of his truth speaking is to get to a place where he can bless. And that's what our words are made to do. So we're going to close with Ephesians. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there and we're going to read it. And I'm going to have you stand in honor of God's word, please. This is, Paul has made 
a case all through the book of Ephesians telling us who God is, how much he loves us, what we're about in the body of Christ, how he's given us the gifts to edify one another, and he's given us leaders to help keep us locked into the word of God. And then when we get to verse 15, instead of another form of life, instead of the old form of life, this is what he says, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, kids are coming in, and joined and held together with every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want you to skip down with me to verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Be angry. Be angry. <laughs> and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen?